epistle of John, that is very near the back of the New Testament on page 1306 in the Bibles in the rack in front of you, the second epistle of John, and we're going to be reading all the verses of this epistle. Second John, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this morning we had the great privilege of ordaining and installing elders and deacons to office. Uh, it is common on a morning like this to use the requirements from Titus chapter 1 or from 1 Timothy chapter 3 to talk about the work of the office bearers. Uh, I am not doing that this morning because when I preach sermons like that, first of all, I get discouraged when I see how far short I fall, and the elders and deacons get discouraged, and we don't want to start off the year that way. Uh, we're going to look a little different way at the work of the office bearers this morning and focusing particularly this morning on the office of elder. I think it was last time or the time before I focused on the office of deacon during this service. Uh, this morning focusing on the office of elder. And we're going to do that by looking at a letter from an elder. Uh, John is writing to a church, the elder to the elect lady. And as he writes this letter as an elder... John will speak from his heart. Uh, by looking at what he says, we can get a sense of the role and duties of the elder and also how we as a church should respond to the elders in our midst. 
This morning, a letter from an elder. John, in his typical uh, style, will talk a lot about love and the love of the elder for the congregation. Verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. The elder to the elect lady. Who's the elect lady, kids? Who is John writing? Who is this lady? When he says the elect lady, he's not talking about any one person in particular. He is talking about the church, the bride of Christ. This is the elect lady. So he's not writing to one particular person in the congregation. He is writing to the congregation as a whole. He says, to the elect lady and the one whom I love in the truth, his love for her is, is like a husband for a wife. A self-giving love. A love which seeks the best of the other. This is how he introduces the work of the elder. It is a self-giving love the elders have, like a husband for a wife to the elect lady and her children. And now John is slightly changing the metaphor. Uh, the children of this elect lady are not the church seen as a, as a body, but the church seen as individuals. The children of the elect lady are the members. They're the members of the church. So he's writing not only as a, as, as a husband loves a wife, but as a parent loves a child. That's the love he has for the church. To watch over the child, to protect the child, to care for the child. This elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, but also those who know the truth. All of us have that love for the church. Elders, you are called to love the church. Love the church corporately as a body. Love the institution God has given to us. But also love them individually. Love the members of the church. The love that a husband has for his wife, the love that a parent has for, the, for a child, keeping their best interests in mind. How can we best serve the congregation God has given to us? To, to express that love, it will most certainly drive us as office bearers to our knees. We will be in prayer before God, for the church whom he loves, for the church whom we love. And I want to assure you, congregation, the office bearers pray for you. I know that the office bearers pray for you individually in their private prayers and corporately as well. When we get together for our meetings, for the council meeting, for the consistory meeting, we spend time praying for you. Praying for God's blessing upon our congregation. Praying for the needs of our congregation. Um, this is one of the blessings of belonging to the church. Now certainly the elders pray for things outside the church, things in the world as well, but they, they, they focus their attention on praying for you, the members of Christ's body. This is one of the blessings of church membership knowing that you have men who have been called by God, ordained by God, set apart for his service, who are bringing you regularly before God's throne of grace. What a blessing to belong to such a church. What a blessing to belong as part of that elect lady, one of the children. Now, as, as elders are called to love the church, 
to pray for the church, to watch over the church. Their call is to love us. Our call as a church is to be lovable, to not make their work difficult. Just like we always love our children. Kids, we always love you. But sometimes you make that hard for us. When you make decisions that we know will hurt you, that hurts us and makes it hard for us. And we will, in love, come to you and direct you. We as God's people, loved by the elders, loved by God, are called to be lovable, to live in a way that helps them to do their task. He says, I love you with the love of the truth. And four times in these first couple verses, he mentions the truth, the truth, the truth. And that beautiful balance of love and truth. Sometimes we try to drive a wedge between these two things. Either I can be loving or I can tell you the truth of what's going on. But no, the apostle says it's a beautiful balance. Love in the truth. Love without truth is empty emotionalism. Truth without love is dry dogma. But a love in the truth is a blessing given to us from God. What is that truth? It is the truth of God's Word. It is the truth He has revealed to us. Which is why this morning the brothers signed the form of subscription. And they said, we will hold on to this truth. We will believe this truth. We will defend this truth. They do that that for themselves, but they do that for our good. To keep us safe. They love the truth so much. And they will act according to the truth of God's Word. The decisions they make will not be made, first of all, for what is most expedient. The decisions they make will not be for what is the easiest thing to do. The decisions they make will not even sometimes be what will make the congregation happy. They will make decisions based on the Word of God and their obligation to love Him and to love you by carefully diligently applying that truth within our midst. Love that is not founded upon truth is not true love. The elders are called to love the church in the truth. We see in John's letter two particular tasks, two particular works the elders are called to do. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. The elders are called to help us walk according to the commands of God. Uh, One of the ways they do that is by providing teaching in the Word of God, teaching in the commands of God. So the elders in this upcoming year will continue to provide a wonderful uh, multiple of opportunities for us to be instructed. 
The Bible studies will continue on under the oversight of the elders. For our children, Sunday school will continue under the oversight of the elders, that they may grow to love the truth. Catechism will go on, shield will go on, faithful core will go on. All of these ministries under the oversight of the elders, that you might grow in your love of the truth of God's word. They will do that in formal ways, some of them teaching some of these classes. They will show you their love in the truth informally when they meet with you, when they pray with you, when they open the Word of God with you in the pastoral care they provide. They are called to love the truth themselves, to embrace the truth, not only love, uh, knowing it, but living it. That was part of that form that we read, that they might, we might see it in their lives, providing us an example. They will love the truth themselves, and they will help us to love the truth and to live it in every part of our lives. Part of their task is to teach us, encourage us in the commands of God, not only knowing them, but living them, applying God's Word in the church, in the worship that we offer to God, in our homes, in our family relationships, in our work life. They give us instruction to walk, to live according to God's commands. That's one of their tasks, to teach us the commands of God that we might walk in them. They teach us and they warn us against deceivers. Look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. They warn about deceivers. Those who would deny the truth. Those who would try to change the truth. They call us to hold fast to the truth we have been given. He warns about those who are deceivers who do not confess Jesus Christ in the flesh. Now, I find it very interesting John qualifies it that way. He doesn't say, I'm warning you about those who don't confess Jesus Christ. I'm warning you about those who don't confess Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. There are, uh, if I can put it this way, some easy heresies to spot. If someone comes to you and says, I don't believe in Jesus Christ, okay, that's a problem. I don't believe in Christ. We can recognize that very easily. But sometimes they come. Oh, of course I believe in Jesus. Of course I believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in Jesus Christ, the God-man. The God who came in the flesh. Jesus, I love him. Well, who was he? He was a great example. He was a wonderful teacher. Oh, he was a powerful rabbi. And we say, but he was son of God in flesh. Son of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, he came to save us from our sins. Sins? Why are you talking about my sins? I'm a pretty good person. And suddenly, suddenly we find there's a distinction. They don't believe the Jesus of the Bible. He warns against deceivers. Those who may come with all the right-sounding words, 
but don't believe the truth of God's revelation. Jesus Christ who came to save sinners, God in flesh, God incarnate, that's which we celebrated last month in the celebration of Christmas, the one who, come to, who came to save his people from their sins. And the one who continues that glorious work, the one who calls out today that if you are here and have never embraced this Jesus Christ, the God incarnate, the one who came in the flesh, he calls to you this morning. Put your faith and your hope and your trust in him. Be saved from your sins. That's what he came to do. Not simply a good teacher, not simply a moral example, but a savior of his people. The elders warn us about deceivers. They warn us about those who would say, the Bible is not sufficient. Look at verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. What does he mean by everyone who goes on ahead? It's kind of a strange phrase. What he means here is anyone who says we need something more, we need something beyond, we need something more going on ahead more than what God has already given to us. Anyone who would come to you and say, look, if you want to really understand the Scriptures, there's a secret interpretive key that will tell you the real message of the Bible. Now, we know there certainly are some interpretive keys to help us understand Scripture. We think of something like the covenant. God's covenant with his people is an interpretive key to understand Scripture. The kingdom, an interpretive key to understand Scripture. But these things rise from the text. The text gives us these, these interpretive keys. Those who would come to say, look, if you really want to understand the Bible, here's another book you have to read. This will be the secret code. This will be that, that, that key from outside somehow opens up Scripture, because Scripture itself is not sufficient. The elders will warn us of anyone who goes ahead, who goes beyond, who says there's more necessary. No, if they do so, they do not abide in the teaching of Christ, and they do not have God. They will bring us back into the Word. And that was really the, the genius of the Reformation. The Reformation that took place so many years ago was not something new. It was not something beyond Scripture. It simply said, let's go back to the text. Let's go back to the revelation God has given to us. Not some special secret interpretive key outside, but simply go back to the Word of God and know the truth that He has given to us. The elders will warn us. They will teach us, they will warn us, they will, be, they will say, do not be deceived. Look at verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This text has sometimes been misunderstood. Uh, he's talking about a deception. Do not be deceived. If anyone comes to you and doesn't bring this teaching, don't receive him into your house. Now, he's not talking about the case. When, when someone comes and is confused about something or ignorant about something and want to have a discussion, 
We should certainly help those with whom perhaps we have simple disagreements to help them to see the clarity and the beauty of God's Word. What he is talking about here is those who would teach these things, who would teach the deception. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, that is, they bring a different teaching, do not receive them into your house. Don't take part in what they have to say. The elders are called to be careful. We are not misled. And when he says don't receive in your house, of course, remember the picture here. He's talking about the house as the church. Don't receive those false teachers into your church. Don't give them an opportunity to do their false teaching. That's something else elders do as they protect us, warning us against deceivers. Elders guard the pulpit. Elders listen carefully as the sermons are being preached to make sure that what we are hearing is the Word of God. And they will do everything they can to keep anyone who would come with a different gospel, any false teacher, away from, from you. They protect you. They guard the pulpit for your sake and for God's honor to make sure that whoever stands here will bring to you the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will not allow deceivers to come in, try to deceive the church, the elect lady, and her children. Elders teach us. Elders warn us. How do they do that? What's the, what's the nature of their work? Look how he closes here, verse 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The elders do their work face to face. Back in, oh, it was about the 80s or so, maybe mid-80s, there was a concern that as a number of... um, preachers were starting to be TV preachers. There was a concern about about a television congregation, that this, this, um, this innovation of having preachers on TV would encourage people to stay away from church. Now maybe we have to update that um, now with the internet. The idea of the virtual congregation, that you don't even have to get up, you can stay in your pajamas and watch church on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Now, we are so thankful for the gift of technology. And we are so thankful that for those who are unable to come to worship, they can watch via the internet. We're so thankful for those at Inland Home who can be a part of our congregation in this way. Those who have a a need for this service, I'm not talking to them. But for those who would say, even though I am able to come, I'll just live stream it anyway. That, that, that flies against being church. Church is face to face. Church is the body. Church is being in the pews. Whether that be Sunday morning or whether that be Sunday evening, we don't say, I'll just stay home and watch it on TV. Again, for those who can't get out at night, for those who don't drive at night, we understand that those are not the ones I'm talking to. For those who would say, I'll just stay home, and I'll call this my church. Church is face-to-face. Church is personal. The elders do their work face-to-face. 
They interact with you on the Lord's Day, in the morning service, in the evening service. Elders, elders not only interact with you here in church, elders still make house calls. Now kids, I bet you don't even know what a house call is. Long, long time ago, when you got sick, you called the doctor and he came to you. He came to your house and made a house call. I remember the episode of the Brady Bunch where they, had, they were sick and they called the doctor and the doctor came to the house. Try that today. Call the doctor. Hey, I'm sick. Would you come to my house? Click. That's all you're going to get. Doctors made house calls. Elders still make house calls. If you have concerns, if you have needs, if you need someone to come and to speak with you and to pray with you, when you call the elder, they will not hang up. They still make house calls out of their love and concern for you. They do their work face to face. We do that in a, in a fairly structured and deliberate way in, the, in terms of our family visiting. It is our goal that, that, that at least every two years the elders come and visit face to face the members of the congregation. That's, that's their obligation. That's how they do their work. Of course, our obligation is to make that time available for them. When the elders call and say, I'd like to come for a family visit, to make our schedules clear for them that we can have a face-to-face -face visit, a spiritual visit about how our walk with the Lord is going. They work face-to-face -face so that our joy may be complete. It's a thing of joy to have elders who love us so much, who are so concerned, that they will take time away from their families and they will take time out of their schedules and they will come and visit us in our homes. That's, that, that's the way in which they do their work. Today we celebrate God's goodness to his church. God's goodness to provide us with those whom he has chosen to be a blessing to us. Those who will love the truth themselves those who will help us to love the truth. They will teach us. They will instruct us. They will provide teaching for us, formally, informally. They will warn us. They will make sure that the pulpit is protected. And they will minister personally to you. Oh, how we thank God that he has seen fit once again in our congregation, in our midst, to shower his blessings with elders, with deacons who love God, and who love us. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank and praise you for your gifts to your church. We thank you for the means of grace. We thank you for the preaching of the gospel. We thank you for the administration of the sacraments. And we thank you that you watch over these things by men whom you have called and you have ordained to office, to an office from Christ himself. We thank you for our local elders. We thank you for our local deacons, for the gifts you provided for them. Lord God, help them to use their gifts and talents in your service, for that will be service to us as well. Strengthen them for the task to which they have been called, for the elders to provide us with, with proper teaching, to warn us from dangers, and to minister face-to-face -face in our midst. We receive these men, O oh God, as a blessing from you. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake.
Amen.